journey. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church. I think we're on the air. We are here, so why don't you all stand?
take a seat, and I think we have announcements. But by whom, I'm not sure. Oh, there we go. Ooh. Yay. <laughs> morning my name is Don Anderson and uh, I just I don't have a title like Gary and such I just Don oh okay <laughs> there is youth group tonight at 530 and all the kids are welcome uh Feel free to drop your kids off, neighbor kids, grandkids, whatever. Operation Christmas Child. If you forgot your box this morning, you can drop it off at the church office tomorrow. Just remember, Julie presents a tax on that, so she might root through it and pick out what she likes. So, ladies game night tomorrow, Monday, November 16th at 6.30 in the Family Life Center. Bring a snack. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Family Prayer Tuesday, November 17th. Should I pause and let you guys get another cup of coffee? <laughs> Budget review next Sunday. And I would really encourage you to be there. A lot of work goes into that. And uh, it shows you uh, basically what Liberty Lake Church is all about. And the directions that we're heading uh, is something that's really important. It'll be right here after church next Sunday. Now, I have to tell you something. Um, the governor is going to speak to us at 11 o'clock today. So what I just got done telling you could change. So make sure you stay on the website. No? <laughs> okay. Look at the website and uh, follow your emails. Julie is going to do her best to communicate with us as to what the laws are and how things are changing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just got to share with you the greatest announcement of all. Uh, just I was reading it this morning. In fact, I, I will tell you, um, my bride and I uh, went down to New Orleans and hung out for a week, and we had a blast down there. And there was a lot of um, progressives and liberals, and you know, and my heart gets to churn. And I have 15 grandkids, and I have a great granddaughter. And I think, what is to come? What's going to happen? What's this all about? And I have to tell you, all of a sudden, my my bride and my youngest daughter were shopping. So I'm standing on the sidewalk, and I'm just hanging out, and all of a sudden, I saw these purple flags to my right start going up. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> what are those folks gathering and doing? And I, I got to tell you, I'm selfish, self-centered, but those flags, they went up, and they started blowing in the wind. And those flags all said, Jesus is still king. And all of a sudden, worship music rose from that group. And man, I just thought, you know, my grandkids are going to be okay. Just keep praying and teaching. My great-granddaughter is going to be okay. Keep praying and sharing. 
So all that being said, I would like to share the greatest announcement of all. There were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angels stood amongst them. And God's glory blazed all around them. They were terrified. The angel said, please don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A Savior who is the Messiah and the Master. This is what you are to look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please God. That's our job. stand with us and praise that fact.
take a seat. Kids, you're dismissed. Wait. Our kids not dismissed. You guys are stuck with me. Man, I am so sorry. Look at that. Just chaos everywhere. How you guys doing? That is awesome. You know, people have been asking me that this morning. How you doing? And uh, typically I say great. Uh, normally I am. Uh, but I'm not this morning. And I'll share with you why. It's not anything horrible or that I've been wrestling with the text and uh, found myself incredibly uh, challenged in trying to explain and and share with what I think uh, that God has is laid out um, in the text this morning and um, been wrestling with it all week and I honestly came this morning going okay Lord you got to help because um, I'm not sure if I can explain this uh, well. And on top of that, we have the chaos of um, the governor making announcements this morning and, and all the concerns about what's happening uh, in, in other states, uh, not only ours, and what are we going to do about it. So I do want to let you know that the elders, and, and we will meet and talk through what's, what's going on, and um, we will communicate with you as things change or don't change, however that goes. You will hear from us very quickly. Um, as we move forward. Um, but I really appreciate what Don said. Jesus is still king, and we only have one. Amen? We only have one, and uh, the beauty of this one is that he's uh, pretty good at living outside of time and taking care of all kinds of things, even nations that are in rebellion to him or nations that don't respect him at all or even his own people. So we can faithfully come and trust and worship God. And isn't the beauty of the church the fact that even if we aren't all gathered in this space, we're still the church? And we're still able to be the church? And God's still the head. Jesus is still the head, and, and God is still directing us. So, what do we do this morning? Everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> all right, we're going to be okay. Not because life's great, but because God is, and we can trust him with this. You guys, we're going to look at a process this morning that is, um, like I said, I've been wrestling with it all week. How, how do you describe this? Um, so turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. And I've been trying to figure out how, like, what's a good illustration for what we're going to wrestle with this morning? And I don't really have one. The closest thing that I could uh, come up to is um, watching um, the, the sorrow that Jesus is going through in this process. I, I know many of us face great sorrow um, it, in life, and we've experienced those things. And I think about, in my own past, um, one of the more painful um, deaths that I actually uh, 
got to experience uh, was my grandfather dying, and he was my, I'm going to try and keep you guys along with me, he was my real dad's grandfather, who my biological father left when I was three, and, and I've seen him just a couple of times in my life. And, um, you know, so my dad now is my stepdad who, who married my mom and who's been a, just an incredible gift from God. Um, but my grandfather, um, uh, Gram- Grandpa Ken, uh, he was, he and, and Grandma Ruth, they were uh, the two of our favorite grandparents. And they loved us and cared for us, and we got to go up and do stuff with them. Um, in fact, he was the grandpa that when I was running through his implement yard, I caught my head on the cement mixer chute and like flipped up a, a passage of skin, and it, I, I know I'm killing you, but I walked in, I walked into the house, and grandpa, gr- grandma goes, oh, we better, you know, but got to get this taken care of, and grandpa goes, ah, too much blood, he'll never make it, let him die, you know, so grandpa really loved us, in fact, that was honestly, that was the first time I ever heard my grandma turn around and go, Kenneth, and I'm like, oh, wow, the full name, and, uh, and so, Grandpa was, we were very, very close, and it was actually on a Christmas, it was a Christmas event, I was uh, 16 years old, working a full-time job, had my own car, had my own life, rebellious as heck, and um, we were doing Christmas up at their place, and it was an hour and a half drive, or 40, not quite an hour and a half, it was an hour and a half turnaround, and I was just too tired, and I didn't go to Christmas that year, I decided that I just, you know, I've got my own life to live, I don't need to go do the family thing, and um, somewhere around shortly after uh, New Year's, Grandpa had a heart attack, fell and hit his head and died. And um, I remember going through the process of, wow, that's a pretty selfish thing to, to not go and see Grandpa for. And I, I dealt with a lot of frustration and guilt and, and sorrow and um, personal guilt. And so when we think about the, the, the relationships and the pain and the sorrow that we suffer, each of us probably have different stories, probably more painful than that and, and more intimate than that. But I believe we're going to see Jesus express depth in sorrow today that comes from a place that we are promised to be at some point, but we may not have experienced yet. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I'm, we're going to see how it goes. Mark chapter 14, verse 32, follow along with me in the text. It says this, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My sorrow, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all these things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
I believe we're going to end up breaking this up into two segments, so don't panic when you see all that stuff. Um, I'm not going to keep you here until three. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrestle our way through this. One of the things that I love about this particular text is you actually see Jesus. Uh, he describes this, this pa- process that they take where he gets away to pray, right? In the very beginning, we, they go to a place called the Yosemite, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. What's interesting is if you look in Luke chapter 22, we're actually seeing uh, the same story, but told by Luke in his description of this. We're only going to grab one of these verses because it's, it's, it's pertinent to the relationship of what they're doing here. But Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says this. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And if you continue in Luke, you'll actually see it's the same story where they're going out to pray. And Jesus is praying for them and and he's preparing them for this process. But this was Jesus' custom was to go and pray. And he takes his disciples with him. And we know in other parts of the gospel, we actually see Jesus getting away even at night and, and taking all night to be up praying and talking to the Father in this intimate relationship that he has with his Father, that he makes time to pray and he gets away and he spends time doing that and he takes his disciples with him and it's his custom to do so in prayer. You know, it's interesting, I was up this morning sitting up front, and most of you don't see, because normally I'm in, in my office with my head on the desk praying uh, before every sermon, try asking the Lord to, to, to speak and to, to cover the gap between me and what needs to be said. And uh, this morning I was out just enjoying the music and, and having some time to do that. And um, I think for a few people, they were concerned. They thought, what's wrong with Pastor Shane? Because normally if he's out here, he's around talking to us. And, and I was just needed to focus on the text and pray. But my, the, the question that I've been wrestling with all week is, is prayer my custom? Is my relationship with my Heavenly Father a customary time of prayer and conversation where I make time and I get away and I spend that, that committed time in prayer? I pray when I'm about to eat. I pray when things aren't going well. Amen? I pray when I'm worried about a sermon. Amen? Thank you. As you should be praying. But do I really make it a custom of mine to pray to speak to my Father? Is it customary for me to take time in my day to go and communicate with him, to talk to him about the things I'm concerned about? Has the church been on its knees uh, in this recent season of politics and division and and all of the craziness with COVID? Have we been on our knees? Are Are we a church that is accustomed to prayer? As Luke is describing what Jesus is doing, he, he actually gives it uh, from the reports of the, the disciples, the people that are sharing with Luke what's happening. They're saying that this is a customary thing for him to do, to get away and spend time with his father. To be in prayer and, and to engage in that. And I've been wrestling with that this week because what's my tendency? How many of you guys use distraction to distract yourself? Some of you, some of you do, because I heard you giggle. You're like, "Oh yeah, totally me." I do, right? And and some of my I love to drive. I love driving. I I really do enjoy driving. I've even put uh, high performance brakes on our little flex that we drive. It works way better. Looks really cool now too. It's got the red brakes on the side. When you walk up, you're like, "What's wrong with this guy?" Like it's a flex. And uh, but I love driving. 
Uh, and that thing's all-wheel drive. This morning, my bride and I were coming to church, and there's this patch where we drive by. It's all snowy and icy, so I'm like, Wee! I love that. When I was growing up, and, and life was really chaotic and painful for me as a rebellious 16-year-old, hated my stepdad, and, and we had all kinds of conflict going on. That, that's where I would go and hide. It was behind the wheel of my car. I had a 1965 Corvair that was not meant to do what I did with it. In 1965, they did not design it for, those, for that speed that I drove in the corners. It was not. It was. Surprisingly, mine lived. Miracles have continued to happen. But I lived behind that wheel. That's where I went for peace. That's where I went to, to deal with the pains in my life. I didn't go to the Father. I didn't go to the Lord. I did, my relationship with Him was not that deep. It was growing, but it wasn't that deep. And so as I was looking this week at my own life going, okay, things are kind of chaotic right now. Life's a little chaotic. Is my practice, is my custom to be before God in prayer, to, to take that time? And if I were to be perfectly honest with you, no, not enough. Not really. Because I'll lay awake at night for hours wrestling in my own head. How am I going to fix this? How do I deal with this? What do I do next with this? Uh, you know, what decisions are we going to make? The elders need to meet. We need to talk about these things. We've got a budget coming up. How are we gonna... I'll lay awake and wrestle with that stuff all day long, all night long at times. It's when God gets a hold of my heart in those moments, he goes, you do realize you can't do this. I'm like, yes. And I'll give it back to him, and then a few minutes later I have to give it to him again. And then I repeat that process most, most evenings. Is it our custom to get away and pray? I believe that we should wrestle with that reality and that it should become something that, that we're known for. It should become part of our reputation as being a people of God, is that we are people of prayer and that we're dependent. And in that moment, in that situation, we would hopefully, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, respond as Christ does. What's beautiful about this particular text that has been so perplexing and, and wonderful for me this week is that you don't probably wouldn't use this text to teach peace, uh, you know, joy, right? Because here's Jesus in great sorrow. He even says to the point of death, there's this angst that he has and this incredible uh, incredible um, uh, sorrow and... and um, desire to have the cup removed that he's coming into. And yet I believe there is great hope and there's great peace, and we'll see that as we go through this this morning. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is actually pulling his inner circle away, a little bit farther away from the group of disciples, right? Did you see that in the text this morning? Verse 33, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And so in, in other texts, if you go and read the other gospel accounts of this, you'll actually see that he goes a little farther. He takes the group and he goes out and says, sit here and pray with me. And then he takes the three and he goes a little bit farther, which is not uncommon for Jesus. We actually have seen that in the gospel of Mark. That Jesus is pulling these three out and, and he's actually giving them a more intimate relationship, a more intimate exposure to who Jesus is. If you look in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, we'll see it there. Mark chapter 5, verse 37. 
This is when the ruler of the synagogue came and, and, and said that he had a child who was dying and the, the, the people were, were coming and it was uh, one of the, the daughter of this ruler of the synagogue was, was actually passing away and when they get there, they're mourning and, and because the kid had, had died and Jesus pulls his disciples uh, in, but only a few, Mark chapter 5, verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And, and he goes in and he takes her by the hand and he... Raises the girl from the dead. So here, Peter, James, and John get to go into an inner room and watch Jesus do this incredible miracle. And I love that we see them doing this. In fact, in this particular passage, we see him entrust to those three disciples the deep sorrow of his soul at this moment. He's sharing with them the agony that he has in his soul, in his heart, about what's coming. I still can't get it out of my head that here these poor guys are expecting him to show up and actually establish for them the kingdom. We're going to go and take Rome out of position and put put a king back on the throne where he's supposed to be. I'm, I'm just in my head, I'm wondering sometimes if the guys are like, well, yeah, Jesus, we're going to lose a few people, but that's war. You know, that's what happens when a king comes and reestablishes a kingdom. Sure, there's going to be some some loss that's going to happen, but but what what is this? And it's actually uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, we see Jesus uh, take three guys with him again. Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it's, it's in the transfiguration when he takes up on the mountain and he actually appears there with Elijah and Moses. And we see that in verse 2, it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. These three have got to see more intimate and more personal stuff with Jesus than even the rest of his disciples. And don't you love... I love this. Remember, just recently in the, in the passage last week, Peter says, even if I have to die, I will not abandon you. I will not deny you. And, and Jesus comes back to this moment, and Peter's asleep, and he goes, so Pete? <laughs> Couldn't stay awake, huh? You guys see that? He specifically calls Peter out, Mr., even if the rest of them will not do what, you've called, what, what they need to do, I will not deny you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And he comes back and he calls Peter out, which is unfortunately the cost of being in an intimate relationship with someone is that when you have failures and flaws and weaknesses, you, they're more readily exposed, right? The more you get to know somebody, the more you know about their flaws and weaknesses. Amen? <laughs> yeah, right, like we like that. That's a beautiful part of marriage, but we don't like it in the church. Right? Man, you guys, are you guys scared? Is that what the, you're like, what is, what's going to happen next? It's right here in the text. It's okay. The reality is, is that it is costly to be engaged in an intimate relationship. There is a higher cost, and, and these three disciples get to experience that. And, and I love, I feel like so often we want to beat up Peter for being Peter, but he's one of, the, one of the close guys to Christ, and he does stand, and he stays engaged. Even when the, the rooster had crowed three times, he, was, he and John were still there at Jesus' side. They were faithful. The third part of the text that we see today is that Jesus experiences great sorrow. And, and I want to wrestle with why. 
and we'll talk about that. But look at, look at what he says in verse 34. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. We know that he prayed last week. We looked at Hebrews chapter seven. Uh, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter five, verses seven through ten, where it says specifically that Jesus, uh, his prayers were heard, and he, while he was on earth, he prayed with great cries and tears, asking God to to remove the cup that he was going to take. But he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the the salvation to all of us. Jesus knew the Father well. He was close to him. Did you see what he said about him? I love this. He goes, that that all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. Why why did Jesus come to the earth? Just let that percolate. Why, Why did he come? This sacrificial lamb process... Uh, the, the dying on the cross was a major part of what the whole thing was about, right? Obeying the Father's will, but it was leading to the cross. That was the purpose. That's what was coming. He knew about this. He testified to his disciples that that was what was coming. So what is it that he's lamenting so much at this point in time? What was the sorrow? Was it just the physical death that he was worried about? Was it going to be so horrible that, that he, was in, it was in, he was incapable of, of dealing with that? I don't think so. Um, many people had died on the cross. Uh, that was a part of the crucifixion process at that time. Um, there, there are many horrible, horrible acts of, of violence and terrible things that have happened to people throughout the history of mankind, of, of the way that they've treated one another and, and, and wounded and, and, and killed one another. I really believe that the issue of the depth of his sorrow actually comes more from his relationship with his father than it does the physical death, right? Last week, he even said to his disciples, don't worry, guys, I know you're all going to leave me, but when I'm raised, I'll meet you in Galilee. He knew he was going to be raised from the dead. He knows, he even testifies of the Old Testament prophecy that he's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's going to be uh, experience the glory of the Father given to him because of his faithfulness and his obedience. He sees and knows the coming uh, outcome of what this obedience looks like. And yet in the middle of that, he prays this prayer to his Father saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. If you look in John chapter 8, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 8, we're going we're gonna to read a, a few pieces of, out of John where Jesus is talking about his relationship with his Father because I believe that the reason why there is such deep sorrow in Jesus is because he recognizes that the penalty of sin, the cost of our sin, the, the wrath of God that comes in, in this payment that he's taking on the cross will result in in that brokenness of relationship, in that separation between he and God. 
and for him it is unbearable. John chapter 8, verse 48. John chapter 8, verse 48 says this, And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets uh, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me and of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my days. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The relationship that Jesus describes of between himself and the Father is this intimate relationship of oneness and, and, and deep knowledge and intimate obedience and surrender. That's who Jesus knows his Father to be, the oneness that he has. In fact, look in the uh, same passage or same uh, book, John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, uh, John 20, uh, 10, 22 through 30. It says this, and at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking into the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus knows a oneness with God the Father that I believe is what actually is causing him this incredibly deep, deep, Sorrow. In fact, he, he speaks of oneness in in uh, in the relationship. Uh, in uh, Paul speaks of it in this the between God and the church and the and and the Father and all of those things is so incredibly important. Um, I believe that that's part of what Jesus is wrestling with here. And, and the second piece of this is that Jesus is also aware of the consequences of sin, right? If you look in Romans chapter 1, we see the consequences of sin, and I believe that Jesus recognizes that, that when he takes on our sin, when he dies for you and me, he's accepting the wrath and the separation from God, the Father, that, that you and I are 
deserving of, or our behavior has put us in a, a, of the position uh, where we are deserving of that. In fact, our being born into sin because of da- uh, Adam's sin has actually placed us in that spot. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, and animals, and creeping things. What's so interesting about what I've been trying to get my head around how to explain and how for us to understand is that Jesus being one with God, and John tells us that he was in the beginning and all things were made by him, that he was present with God. Jesus has never experienced separation or or broken relationship with God the Father. He's never experienced that. He hasn't sinned. He has nothing in his life that would actually break that relationship. In fact, it's interesting that in last week's text, text he actually tells his disciples don't worry you guys because even if you leave me even when all of you fall away i will still have my father with me and yet we know as we will see down in in a few passages chapters of mark that at the moment of jesus death he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me Spiritual death is the separation eternally of us from God the Father. We're separated because of our sin, and that's a consequence that Jesus paid for and experienced. And I believe it is in that reality of sin and the consequences of sin that Jesus is lamenting deeply and, and being deeply sorrowful at this point because he knows what's coming. You know what the challenge for me is? Is I don't know what that oneness looks like. Even at the best in my relationship with my bride, I'm still annoying to her at times. Right? I mean, we're never annoyed with our brides. Right, guys? One of y'all should have said amen. I just, I'm telling you, that was a free brownie point right there. But th- think about our relationships that we have and how many of us have oneness that has no offense in it, that has no failure in it. We don't have that. We don't know what that relationship looks like. We don't know what that oneness looks like. But Christ did. In fact, you you can read that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Write that down and go back and read it. Christ knew what it was like. In fact, in his humility, he laid that aside to come and be created in the image of man and to take on our offenses, to die for our sins and to carry that burden and to take the wrath of God in place of us. And the consequence of that was that he was separated from his father. 
And it was so incredibly impactful that he's lamenting this, that he's weeping for this, that he goes back to the Father three times to ask that it would be removed. I believe that's the reason that God speaks so strongly against division in the church and why he talks about the oneness of marriage and the oneness of the church being so important to the Father. Imagine, you guys, if we see the body as actually being individual members of Christ himself and we're ripping off hands and arms and legs. For what? For what? You guys ever been to a church that separated over style of music? That's a simple one. There's many, many more. The idea for Jesus of being separated from his Father, even for a few moments, I believe leads to this incredible depth of sorrow. What I've been wrestling with all week is, God, what does it mean to know you that well? What does it mean to know God the Father that well? My guess is that in the midst of that knowledge, there would be great peace in the chaos of our world. Personally. If I knew God the Father to the way that Jesus did as being who He is outside of time and the supernatural realities of who He is, His infiniteness, is that even a word? I do make them up from time to time and I apologize. Jesus knew him in such a way that even though he knew what was coming and the agony was so incredibly great for him, he responds, not my will, but yours be done. In light, in the knowledge of what was coming, he says, not my will, but yours. I will follow you in this. And it was because of that relationship, it was because of the intensity of that relationship and the intimacy of that relationship that he was able to respond that way, although he knew, I believe, the pain that was coming and it was so great for him. You know what grabbed me this week is that it was so great for him. At one part, he was going, really, Lord, for them? Do you see that? God, if there's, is there any other way to save them? Any other way? Because what I know about you and my relationship with you is more important to me than anything else. I am convicted this week that that is not my relationship with my God. I've been convicted this week that it is not a custom of mine to go to my Father to find out everything that He wants me to do. To trust Him with all things. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been given an example to follow, and I believe that our response to this is, should be similar to what Christ did, right? When, when Christ realized the cost, when he, when, as he knew all of these things and he recognized that the moment was coming, he went to his Father and he said, God, is there any other way? And the Lord said, no, I, you need to obey. This is the direction we're going. It's the only possible way. Jesus' response was, your will be done. And I believe in, in Ephesians, Paul gives us the imagery of this, and, and it's something that we should consider. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 
He says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Now, I had a missionary friend of mine one time share with me a story. Uh, I was in Bible school. I, was, I had all these visions of going and being this missionary, the tribal people, and this missionary came in from town, and he sat down, and he, he, he was teaching a small class of us, and he wanted us to understand what the love of God was. And, and honestly, at that point in time, I was 19, 20 years old. I knew everything. He sat down, and he began to explain to us this group of people that God sent him to. And he was sharing this story of how the tribal people would show up at his door every morning. And the, the thing that drove him the most nuts, the thing he had the hardest time with was, um, it was there was actually two pieces, one, one most specific. One was just that they, they stunk horribly. They, they just smelled really bad. And, and some of you can identify with that. You've had teenage boys. And it just, it's an amazing phenomenon how much you can love them and not ever want to be close to them. But the other thing that really killed him, and this was a, he said it was just this weird thing, is that they had runny noses all the time. Like they, they just had snot running down their nose, over their mouth, and, and it was, that was just there. That they didn't, I don't know, it was okay. So it, it just happened. And he said that drove him nuts. These people wanted to hug him. Hug him. And at one point, he was sharing with us what his relationship with the Lord and how he went through it. And, and he realized that he, didn't, he wasn't there because he loved those people. It became very evident. He didn't love those people. He didn't want to hug him. He didn't want to smell him. He didn't want to be anywhere around him. There was a moment that he realized he was going to stay because he loved God. And God said, I love those people. And so he stayed. And he served and he cared and he hugged and he had snot all over him. Let me just tell you what, as a 19-year-old missionary kid, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? i got to find a different place to do ministry. I'm going to go work on airplanes. I actually, that was my decision, actually. I'm like, I'm done with that. And then I found out they ate grubs for food. I was done. Do we love, you, you guys, we don't love one another because we're so lovely. God didn't love us because we were so lovely. God loved us because it's his nature and his love is greater than our ugliness. His grace is greater than our sin. It's the character and nature of God that put him, his son, on the cross for you and for me. And in, in Ephesians, it's that we're to be imitators of that. We're to love one another in the same way. We're to respond to life in the same way. So regardless of what happens next week, what's our call? We're to go and be the church. We're to love like Jesus loved. We're to live like Jesus lived. And we should look different. As a church, we should look different. We should be appalled by division. I'm not saying that we, we live at peace at all costs. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but um, grew up in a church that was peace at all costs. That, that we would never confront. There was, it, it, people would leave and get wounded all the time because there was, we'd never deal with sin. 
That's not biblical. You can't support that from Scripture. So that's not what that's not the point. But we should see the church. We should see one another the way Christ does, and it should change how we deal with one another. It should affect the way that we engage in intimate and meaningful relationship. Jesus took those three guys with him so that they could see something that would change their life, and it would be part of what would inspire them as they led the church in the years to come, as they gave their life for this reality. a totally different reality than what they were thinking they were signing up for. I want to leave you with this. Our hope is in Christ. You know, we say that. That's easy to say. Why don't you all say it? Our hope is in Christ. That's awesome. Now live like it. That's That's where it gets difficult, right? We can say all kinds of really cool stuff. But living like it. Look at what Paul says to the Colossian church about who Christ is. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And uh, we'll go through verse 23 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith and stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of who it is, the God that we claim to serve. Paul describes him in this picture, and he describes in that the solution, the the process of salvation that comes through Christ. The intimacy of that relationship, the importance of understanding and and seeking out who God is. My frustration is, and the, the thing that I've been wrestling with all week, is I don't know God at that level of intimacy. But the beauty is is that we're being promised that he's going to do it. That's actually part of what he's fulfilling in in this process of new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Remember in in Revelation, he actually says that he's going to make his dwelling place with us. In Ephesians, we actually see uh, Paul wrestle with that whole reality at the end of chapter 2 where he says that he's, he's actually fitting us together as a holy place, a dwelling place for the Lord. 
That's the reality of the church. That's what God's building in each of us. And so there's great hope in this. My frustration is, is that I don't feel like I'm living that way. Yeah, I have my moments, right? I come to church. You guys all see me. How are you, Shane? Good. Great. Super excited about this next week, aren't you guys? I'd scare the bejeebers out of some of you if I told you the truth, how I'm feeling some days. <sighs> Why? <sighs> you know what I realized this week? I want to understand the pain that my father feels when we're separated from him because of our sin. I wish I could see sin the way he does. I wish I understood the relationship that Jesus understood about God the Father. That to even lose it for a moment, even lose it for a moment, he would say, God, is there any other way to save this world that you created? Wouldn't that be amazing, you guys, if even for a moment we were appalled by the idea of being in a broken relationship with God the Father? That's what I want. And I, I want to know that. I've been convinced even this week. Obviously, you guys, prayer is a big part of this, right? If Jesus made it a custom to go and pray and talk to his Father, we should probably consider something along that line. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to get together and pray? I'll tell you what, we have a Tuesday prayer thing coming up this week. I, I'm not going to speak for the elders because I haven't talked to them yet, but I'll be here. Regardless of what the rules are, regardless of what they tell us to do, if I have to wear a mask and a trash bag, I'll do it. But I'll be here. Because there is only one answer to the solution. There is only one hope for all that ails the world. And it is the Messiah, it's Jesus, who at the greatest cost of all things was willing to take the wrath and the judgment for our sin in a broken relationship with his father so that you and I would have an opportunity to be restored into a right relationship with God. Would you pray with me? Father, my struggle, as you know, all week has been that I don't know how to explain an impossible thing. I don't know what it means to know you as one the way that our Messiah Jesus does. And the truth be told is that it doesn't bother me as much as it should when I sin. It doesn't bother me as much as it, sh as it should when I have a broken relationship with, with people in the church. In fact, the reality is it doesn't bother me as much as it should when I, when I break my relationship with my bride because of selfishness and, and pettiness. You say it very clearly from the very beginning that, that this marriage relationship is about oneness. And then, then we see you, Lord Jesus, talk about the oneness with your Father, and Paul ties it all together in Ephesians chapter Chapter 5, it's clear, God, that there is supposed to be unity in the church that is unlike anything else on this earth because it's designed around your nature and your character. 
God, this week I realized that it, we are desperately shallow in that area. I am desperately shallow in that area. So, Father, I would ask this week that as we consider what it means to be the church, in light of, of governors making proclamations and, and uh, division and, and, and goofy election processes and all of the chaos that's happening, God, I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly to each one of us. If we're your children, we have your spirit inside of us, and you can speak to every person through your word and through your, your direction and, and through your spirit. God, I pray that we would hear from you clearly what it means to be the church this week. Father, I know that we all we would like to see a physical expression. I, I mean, I'd love to see every one of us show up for prayer on Tuesday. And yet, God, just because I said it now, it's probably not the right thing. So what does it mean for us to be the church? What does it mean for us to know you in a way that, would, that we would give anything to not lose that relationship? Open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to see what that would be and what you would call us to be, what you have created us to be. God, what you paid for us to be. You be glorified in the worship and praise of your church this week as we live for you, not just today, not just this morning, but every minute of every day that we have the privilege of being your ambassadors here on this planet. We give you the praise and glory in your name. Welcome to stand with us for the last song.
stained that could be washed and made. And you paid the price and you rose again. Thank you. Amen.